Praise the Lord. All right. If you would turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Uh, Luke seven thirty-six. It says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him, she was at his feet weeping. She began to wet the feet, his feet, with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them, them meaning his feet. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to who? Himself. We have access to this man's inner dialogue here. He said to himself, If this Jesus was a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Good thing he wasn't one of them, right? Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Now remember, the only thing that's been stated in this room is his inner dialogue. He hasn't said anything outwardly. But Jesus said, I want to say something to you, Simon, because Simon was recognizing that she was a sinner. He said, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 500 denarii. One denarii, by the way, is a full day's salary. So 500 denarii would be like a year and a half of salary for them. That's a lot of money. One person owned 500 denarii, the other one owed 50. Neither of them had money to pay their pay him back. How many have ever been there? Man. So he forgave the debts of both people. Now which of them will love him more? That's in Simon this. The one that owed 500 or a year and a half salary or the one that only owed 50, who is going to love him more for forgiving the debt? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly. Give Simon a clap of praise. Good job, Simon. Simon's inner dialogue is strong and and very analytical here. Then he turned toward the woman. You see her laying at the feet there? Insignificantly at his feet. He turns to the woman and then tells Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears. And wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered. 
has not stopped kissing my feet. And you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. You see that past tense there? Her great sins have been forgiven as... As her great love has shown. She's showing that she's been forgiven because of the amount of love she has. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Looking at the woman, said, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who forgives sins? Who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord God, speak through this message, Lord. Lord, take me out of the way, Lord. I pray that your spirit, right now, Holy Spirit, help me. Speak through me. Speak to the hearts. Your message, Lord. your name I pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. When I was uh, looking at this... I just started looking at the three stages that are going on in this room. Three stages of behavior and three different individuals. You have Jesus, who it's showing different thoughts and actions by him. It's showing the actions of Simon, who is Simon the Pharisee. Okay, now this story is really similar to the same, a very similar story that happens in Bethany and three of the Gospels. In fact, that is at the house of Lazarus, it's in Bethany, and it's in the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John. The difference is, on that particular story, the woman that is there is actually Mary. She's anointing him for burial, and she's anointing his head. This particular story is during the Galilean ministry, which is very far north. Uh, The Bethany is very far south near Jerusalem. The story here is happening during the time when he's way north. So it almost looks, and I'm not going to get into debate over it, but it almost looks like this one's actually different than the other ones. She's anointing his feet. She's in Simon the Pharisee's house. And in the other one, she's in Simon the leper's house. Two different Simons. And which Simon, they say, is such a common name, it's almost like Smith or Jones or a real common last name that we hear today, Simon is that common in Israel. And so, here's this woman, and we've got to really break down what is she doing. In fact, I started to title my sermon, True Worship. But then the more I prayed about it on the way to church, I changed my title. The title of this message is, True Love. True, real love. And... As we begin to see what's happening here, the first thing that, in fact, there were three things that popped in my mind when I started reading this. The first two uh, was perception and reception. And I thought, man, what they perceived each other to be affected how they received. I mean, know that. What they perceived the situation to be affected the way that they Uh, received the reception. So the reception of Jesus 
was different based on how they perceived him to be. And so I thought, man, well, what is the, that's the last two parts, but what's happening in the first part? And of course, being a pastor, it had to rhyme. So there's some kind of anointing when they rhyme, you know. So then I thought conception. I, I looked up that word and I thought, wow, that's perfect. The definition of conceptual is something that has to do with the mind or a mental concept or philosophical or imaginary ideal. In fact, uh, an example of conceptual is when you formulate an abstract philosophy to explain the world which cannot be proven. Uh, Here's an example. We have a conceptual model in our mind and we'll begin designing the real thing soon. So I want to talk about their conceptions of themselves. I want to begin to examine how they conceive themselves to be. Because how you conceive yourself to be is an abstract ideal, an abstract philosophy that's going to affect your ability to receive Christ or to love Christ. And so as we're sitting in this room, the first character we run into is a guy called Simon the Pharisee. Okay, and I want you to start to get into the mind of Simon, and I want you to begin to see what Simon thinks about himself, because the way Simon thinks about himself maybe is the way you walked into this place today. Simon invited Jesus and a whole group of people to his home. And in order for him to invite people to his home, he probably had to have money. He probably had to have a large house. He was a Pharisee, and the Pharisees were known to be well off. He was a guy that had a reputation as being a good person. He was a person that had a reputation of having money. He was a person that had a reputation of having a religious pedigree. He was somebody that thought very highly of himself. One other thing that he had that it doesn't mention, but it implies heavily, is he had a thing called self-righteousness. He recognized that she was a sinner, but he had no awareness, no, no, nothing in his conception of himself included him as a sinner. His conception of himself is, I'm going to test this Jesus. I'm going to see if he says who he thinks he is. I want to see who he says that he is, and you see that he's testing Jesus with his perceptions. Because I don't even think this Jesus is a prophet. Why did he not think Jesus was even a prophet? Because he doesn't even recognize who is touching him. He's just sitting back. Do you see him sitting back looking at Jesus and saying, let's just see if Jesus perceives how unholy and how much of a sinner this woman is. Let's see if he perceives it. And if he doesn't, the guy's not even a prophet. He's not even worth my time. You see the perception that this man gained. Now here's the problem. Jesus was such a level of prophet, he knew his mind. He knew what he was thinking. The secrets of his heart were instantly being revealed to Jesus. Back when Jesus was a child, a few chapters before in the same book of Luke, 
He's coming to the temple to be dedicated by his parents. And one of the prophecies that um, there was an older gentleman there that wanted to see the Messiah. And one of the prophecies, in fact, you can read it in Luke 2, 34 and 35. It says, then Simeon blessed Jesus and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined, listen, to cause the falling or the failing and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too, Mary. It says that this child, when he grows up, is going to cause the thoughts of many hearts to be revealed. He's fulfilling it here. A few chapters later, everywhere he goes, he's revealing hearts. And what God has to do today is, God has to reveal your heart in this service. And if he can't reveal your heart, there'll be no love for God. There'll be no ability to love God. There'll be no ability to seek God. There'll be no ability to go after God. God has to reveal your conception of yourself and find out, does it line up with the Word of God or is it something imaginary that you built that's keeping you out of the presence of God? You can't even know the real God unless you know how to approach the God. You, you can't know the real God unless your conception lines up with the Word of God. And Jesus is trying to reveal the heart of this haughty Pharisee that doesn't have a heart that's right and trying to reveal the heart of this woman who is a prostitute who has a heart that's right. And today he's doing the same thing. He's trying to reveal, are you a haughty, proud, self-righteous Pharisee? Are you one that has love that's flowing out of your heart? Jesus. Well, Jesus cuts right through it all. There's another person here that has a conception of himself. And her identity is not revealed. It doesn't say who she is in this text. Some people will take the other three and say, we know who it is, but I don't know if we do or we don't. It's just a woman in that town. And this woman knew that Jesus would be there. She had heard there was a big dinner party, and it was traditional for a rabbi to go to a house and people would just come off the street and just line that house and listen to that rabbi talk. He was a very great rabbi, and the Pharisee wanted to see what all the fuss was about. He wanted to investigate Jesus for himself. And he didn't believe it doesn't appear that Jesus was Messiah. He didn't even believe that Jesus was a prophet. And do you notice he was kind of dishonoring in the way that he invited him to his house? The traditional thing to do was to wash the guest's feet. That was traditional. It was traditional to greet them with a kiss on the cheek. You say, well, we don't do that. Some customs, you know, I don't know, maybe we can adjust it. I'm a little awkward with that. Yeah, I don't have to kiss everybody. It's not about this. Um, but anyway, he wasn't very traditional. He wasn't warm at all. If you look at the culture, this was a very cold reception of a very important guest. He really didn't have any respect for who was in his home. She finds out about it, and not only does she show up, which is a big deal, 
she comes with her most valuable possession. This was valuable ointment that she had in an alabaster expensive box. So she came ready. Do you see this? Oh man, I hope we come into the church doors like this woman does. Because this is true love being poured out. This is a woman that finally found somebody that loved her soul. Somebody that finally found her true love. And she couldn't wait for him to get her. She was waiting for him. He said, ever since I've got here, she has quit crying, weeping, kissing my feet, and pouring out this beautiful point. So who is this woman? I began to look at, um, a lot of people don't know, but that world, everywhere that they went, they mixed with free people and slaves. The Roman Empire, five out of every eight people were in slavery. So everywhere Jesus went, it's implied in so many parables, so many teachings, so many interactions. Um, If you look at the Greek in each of those areas, the Greek word that is used in so many parables, so many stories, so many interactions, always implies that a lot of people he's ministering to were either slaves or they had slaves. And when you look at prostitution in Galilee, in fact, you say, well, how do you know she was a prostitute? It's implied in this story. Listen to this. In the Amplified Version. In fact, in the NIT, it says, a woman who had lived a sinful life in town. Those are red flags of a euphemism that are a nice way to say she was uh, a prostitute. Amplified says this, an especially wicked sinner. Okay? NLT says, a very immoral woman. This is a woman that had a terrible reputation. And most all scholars will say it's much more than just mildly immoral. She probably was in that business. And when you begin to look at the people that were in that business, most of them uh, came from the ranks of being a slave. And so this woman's life, she probably was abused most of her life. Do you know that they didn't have any rights under the Roman law? A Roman citizen did. A Roman... A person in the empire had rights and protections, and she had no rights. She had no protections. In fact, depending on what part of Galilee she was from, there was one point where there was an uprising around 2 B.C., and in that area of Galilee, 2,000 people that rebelled were killed on crosses. You know that? Crucified on crosses because of rebellion, and their entire families were sold into slavery. So this girl may have never known anything but that. She may have been looked down to. She may have been abused. Uh, Most always, in fact, I was reading in that period of time, most always if they had that type of reputation, it's because they've been abused most of their life. Can I ask you a question? What right does he have to look down upon that girl? What right does he have to look and say, who, why is Jesus, the Son of God, who came to save sinners, why is he touching that girl, allowing that girl to touch him? Why is he even allowing her to be in the room 
And it says in the other three Gospels that not only was, uh, was he upset here, Simon, in his mind, but later on on the other incident, the disciples were upset about it. Judas was upset about it. The people in the room in the other Gospel says was upset about it. But here's this woman who recognizes that I've been hurt my whole life. I've been abused my whole life. I've, 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 my whole life I've been less. My whole life I've been beat up. My whole life I've been a sinner. And here he is. I finally found somebody. I finally found somebody who is my true love. And some of you have, have placed your love all over the place. You've placed your love in things that have let you down. You've placed your love in things that failed you. You've placed your loves in things that weren't fulfilling. And this woman has said, I finally found one that I can love. And Jesus, uh, the way they would have these dinner parties and the way that they would sit in those days is you would lounge with your arm up on an arm and your whole body would kind of lean down and then basically it almost appears that this woman was there to do a job to wash their feet. But something came over this She might have been doing the menial task as a servant of washing everybody's feet. That might be the only way she was in the room. And she's not even in the middle of the room. He's leaning and lounging. She's behind him washing his feet. But there's something in his words. Something in his words. She just just can't quit crying. When you cry so much, you can wash somebody's feet. I mean, oh, that's a lot of things. And this girl is just bawling, crying, broken. You know what it feels like when you have guilt, have shame, when you're beat up your whole life? Nobody respects you, nobody loves you, nobody cares about you. Find to find one, loves you, cares about you, crazy about you, gives you a future, gives you a hope. She finally found true love. And Jesus began to use her as an example. Her perception of Jesus was forgiveness is in the house. There's finally one that could forgive me. Isn't it overwhelming that no matter what it is that we're ashamed of, no matter what it is that we're guilty of? I mean, there were a lot of things that she was abused with, right? Most likely. There were a lot of things that she probably did herself, right? I mean, oh, they go hand in hand. The abuse that we received without our consent damage this world does to our hearts and our minds and then the damage that we do ourselves to everybody around us. All that shame, all that guilt. How many have ever had shame Simon couldn't perceive it. Simon the Pharisee thought he was perfect. His conception of himself was artificial. It was wrong. How many understand it was a bad perception of himself so he could never really know God? And Jesus 
goes right to the thoughts that he had. Nobody heard him. He said, no. He said, let me tell you a story. One man owed, say it's a half a million. They had a pretty good amount of money in those days. Let's say it's a half a million. One person owes a half a million. How many have ever been under the pressure of debt? Pressure of bills. Well, imagine your bill is insurmountable. Like your bill is not just something you can work a year and pay it off. Not something that you have the ability to take care of at night and day and all is at you. It's painful to you. It hurts. How many have ever been there? Stress beyond anything. It seems like there's no hope now. It seems like there's no ability to overcome this now. And then there's another one. He has a good death. But it's manageable. That's the problem. It's manageable. Some people think they're so good, but it's manageable. See, the debt represents how sinful they think they are, not how sinful they act. The debt represents their artificial concept of how sinful they are. Jesus is trying to say, she knows she's a sinner. You have no idea. You have a debt of about 25000 I didn't do the math. And you say to yourself, it's going to be hard. So how we approach God this morning, it's totally based on how big your debt is. If your debt is manageable, if you're a pretty good person, and everybody looks at you and says you go to church, you're a pretty good person, you're not so bad, your attitude is going to reflect your false concept of who you are. You're going to go to church and you're going to say, I just need a little bit to add to my pay. I need some good fellowship. Maybe a good word, a good pat on the back. Sure, I'm a good Pharisee boy. I went to church all life. God is a great supplement to all the great things. That's going to be your attitude. Because your debt is manageable. You approach God. Church, if the books were open, the books were open for your life, my life, All those thoughts were open up. All those computer searches documented. All those mean things you thought about that homeless person, that relative that you're supposed to love. All those ideas you have about yourself. Chad, you make Church, can I tell you something? I need to make it feel worse. So, no, I'm so bad. No, I can just turn on TV and they'll make me feel good about themselves. That's the problem in America. We feel too good about ourselves. We feel like our sin is manageable. We feel like we're good people all in all. 
we feel like that we've got it all figured out. But what God is saying is you don't have it figured out. We can read the Ten Commandments and we believe we've kept it. We can read the law and we can believe that, man, I'm so good, I keep every bit of that law. You couldn't go a day and keep that law. That law was there for a purpose. That law was to call you guilty before God. Shut your stinking mouth. Shut your mouth and be guilty before God. Your debt is so big you can't pay it. I have hurt everybody I've ever known. I've damaged every soul I've ever known. The only thing God has ever done through me is is what the Holy Spirit has changed me to do. I'm damaging to the people I love. I'm guilty. I'm bad. I am not good. You're not either. There is no man that is righteous, not one. He said, well, man, that's bad news. Now you're ready for the good news. The good news is... He wants me to die. And until I realize that I can't keep the law, the law is not going to save me. I can't live my life apart from Jesus Christ and make heaven my home. I need Him. I need Him. I'm desperate for Him. I want to be the one that shows up at church ready to pour out all of the value I have in this life. I want my life to be poured out and broken because I want to give something back because he gave me everything and I didn't deserve it. And this girl understood that. Do you know what kind of eyeballs were looking at her walking into that house that day? Do you know what it feels like to walk into a room and hear the whispers? Do you know what it feels like not to have a reputation? You know what it feels like to be broken? She walked into that house and it didn't need a prophet to perceive it. Jesus is not a prophet because he doesn't know how to speak. How arrogant is that? How arrogant is that? How much do we do that in church? You're so good in your seat and you say, Jed, you're being harsh. I'm being harsh because I love you. How can we ever really have church if you sit with your eyes here? say, well, Chad, that's not how you I thought I was coming for a self-esteem message. I find my esteem in the fact that I love Jesus Christ soul, and I can't pour enough love out. It ain't about me. It ain't about you. But Jesus... That whole room was looking at a person that they thought was best. You understand that? She walked in that room knowing that everybody in that room thought she was blessed. She was blessed and trash. They could take advantage and sexually exploit that woman. I know I'm being harsh on something, but I did this with some kids. Right? Sexual exploitation was legal in that society. She was considered less. So it took a billion times more strength for woman to be in that room than it did for these high wrong thinking people to walk Let me ask you a question. These guys were sitting around 
to hear the rabbi, that means teacher, right? You come here, the teacher throws some high-minded ideas. Are you here to change? Are you here to pour yourself out before a God who gave everything to forgive me and to forgive you? Are you waiting at the door with that expensive, more money than I have perfume? I don't care, but part of my story. That, per, that, that alabaster box represented everything she had. And it had to be broken, we believe. Released it on the feet of the one that she knew she finally found. The one. Look at this. She had every reason. Look down. She had every reason to be ashamed. She had every reason to be criticized. But he lifted her head. Lifted her head up and he began to use her as an example. He said, This woman understands that great death has been forgiven. She has a great debt. She loves God. How hard was that for them to accept? It revealed the bankruptcy of their heart, the bankruptcy of their because they knew they had no love for God. And you know what? I began to study the Bible. I used to think when I was young and I first started serving the Lord, I used to think the more I know the Lord, the less I I'm dependent on God now, but the more I serve God, I'm going to become more and more almost independent because God's changing me to such a better person. And you know what happened to me when I started serving the Lord? The opposite. The more I open the Bible, you say, well, you probably open the Bible and pat yourself on the back and say, Chad, you're such a good man. That's what the Pharisees did because they never figured it out. Some of these Pharisees just never figured it out. They would open the Bible and they would read it in such a way that, oh, what a great person I am. And what a bad person she is. Now when I read the Bible, you know what happens to me? More in need of a Savior. Grace becomes more and more amazing. I realize that I'm more rotten than I ever realized. I realize that I need Him more than I've ever needed Him. The more I read the Bible, the more the mirror is shined in my face and says, Chad, you could be so much more. Man, that fall was a lot more serious with Adam than you ever thought it was. Your mind is a lot more twisted than you ever realized. You said, but didn't he take all your sin away and you were just a wonderful, righteous person? 
No, he had to give me his righteousness because mine was so filthy it had to die. And the more I walk into the house of God, the more I want to kneel at his feet, the more I get excited about worshiping my Savior because I finally found the one that lifts my head up. Takes my sin. How mind-blowing is this? To take that level of sin. A lifetime of abuse. A lifetime of mistakes. A lifetime of shame. As far as the east is from the west. And I started thinking about this, and I'm going to do my last section here. But we started putting drywall up in the prayer room. One thing I noticed with God's pattern of prayer in the Bible that um, I don't even know if I've ever read anybody talk about it or not. But when you walk into the meeting place with God, I mean, you know, all God wants to do is restore. Our communication back to him like it used to be. He walked with man in the cool of the day and fellowship with man. God wants to restore that today. You say, well, why does he want forgiveness of sins? Because he wants to restore you to fellowship with him. And so you begin to look at the layout of this pattern here. There's this building here called the tabernacle. And you say, well, what's it? Why are you telling me about building the tabernacle? Because this is a picture to tell you how to know God, how to be restored to God, how to be reconciled to God. I want you to watch this little prostitute. present time, this building called the meeting, the uh, tent of meeting. The tent of meeting is right there. God wants every man, every woman, every child, every nationality. Slave, free, Greek, Jew. God wants to be in His presence. God wants to sit with you and talk to you and love you and want you to eat at His table and see that He's good. And I want you to see her stand. She says to herself, I want to be with God. But all the world says you can't be with God. All the religious community says you can't be with God. Here she is, and there's God's presence. Two pieces of furniture. Right there. Before I go in. And everybody can have what's in those two pieces of furniture represent the first. It's a giant altar. And look at this. Two pieces of furniture that go straight into the presence of God. One at the other end represents something else in his presence. One represents communion, the bread of his presence, which is Jesus' presence in our life, in the holy place. One represents the lamb, which is the Holy Spirit working through our life. One is the altar of incense, which symbolizes the power of God, the Father, the life. See the shape I have to get through these two, and then I'm in his presence with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit pouring into my What are the two pieces that you have? One piece. The giant altar is the first thing you run into. And it's bloody. 
they had to actually sacrifice animals to represent that one day Jesus Christ why did he have to die? Because you're not good enough. You can't die and be right with God. Jesus Christ had to die to pull you in a relationship. He loved you so much. I want you to, you say, well, that's, we've heard that our whole life. But what if you're a prostitute? She was the only one in the room that recognized who he was. He died for her. She accepts the sacrifice and was forgiven. What's the next thing I'm going to do? A giant basin sink water made out of women's cosmetics. Why was it made out of women's cosmetics? Because now God's died for me. Now God's saved me. Now God's pulled me into his presence. Now God says, wash yourself up. Take the word and look at yourself in the mirror and see a real reflection of who you are. This Pharisee would do it. She was happy. I love it. God for preparing the ministry of God for prostitutes. Those who lives in the word of God. God, loves me. God wants to clean me up. I am his bride. I'm beautiful in God's presence. God's just cleaning her up with the credit. Isn't that a beautiful thing? He lifts this girl and shame her whole life. Forgives her. Nobody I know of in the whole Bible but love. That he said, generations will talk about. Praise the Lord. Stand your feet. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, Lord. Father, I just pray that you would change us, Lord, that we would be like her, Lord. She's a reputation of your church. Lord, that we have repented. Lord, that we've knelt, knelt down at your feet, Lord. Oh, Lord, that we love you with an everlasting Love, Lord God, like you've loved us. Oh, Father, build a church with the heart of this girl. Lord, I pray that you take all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our pain, all of our hurt, all of our unforgiveness, Lord. Oh, Father, let it be broken today, Lord. Let it be shattered, let it be poured out at your feet. Father, everything that we are, everything that represents, Lord God. Father, all the sin, all the rebellion, all the hatred of you, Lord, all the bitterness and anger, Lord. Father, let it be laid at your feet, Lord Jesus, today, Lord. Let us truly worship you and truly love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Church, I'm going to open this altar up. Praise the Lord. If you love the Lord... That's you. Take a few moments to sit at his feet this morning. Maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord. Maybe you've never poured out. The alabaster box represents your life. You say, well, why is it so precious that she's pouring it out? Because you've decided you love him so much. And I'm going to give my life to him like he gave my, his life to me.
to pour my most precious thing out, which is my life. I'm going to lay it at his feet because he's worthy of it. And you begin to live that way. Can you imagine how this girl's life changed from that day forward? If that's you today, you've never given your heart to the Lord, I want you to find a place at this altar. I want you to find a place at your, find a place at your seat and just begin to love him and worship him praise him. If you need prayer, you said, man, I don't know, I can't get over the guilt and the shame. There's a place for you at his feet. There's a place for you to find him. Isn't that awesome? Man, we take that so lightly. There is a place that I can lay my shame. Hallelujah. I'm so glad I found that place. A lot of you say, well, man, I thought you were a pretty good guy, now I wonder about you. Saved by grace. Saved by grace, not by my works. Hallelujah. So simple, but it's hard to live in. Hallelujah. Let's worship the Lord this morning. Righteousness is always a sin. That's why the last thing you run into before you go into His presence is a big mirror and a basin of water. Remember, it was made out of women's cosmetics, which means it was a giant mirror with water. Go in God's presence to minister to God. And guess what? When the priest went in to minister, he ran into it. And when he ran ran out to minister to the people he ran into it again ministering to God and coming back out of his presence self-righteousness is a trap we don't walk into this place to be broken for what God has done for us and it's a real danger when you serve the God serve God for many years we've got to be humble we've got to have humility got to seek God with all of our heart today. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, Lord. Lord, we sit at your feet and we are amazed, Lord God. Lord, your love is more than our love for ourselves. Your forgiveness is more than our forgiveness for ourselves. Oh, Lord, that we would take on your love, Lord. Take on your forgiveness, Lord. Oh, Father, I pray that your spirit would pour out, Lord God. Your amazing grace, Lord God, how sweet. Sweet it sounds, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. Oh, we thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this place and your presence, Lord. Bless your people that go today, Lord, in your name. And everybody said, Amen. Praise the Lord.